As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. We have audio. You didn't put on makeup today? No. That's the fun thing is like sometimes I don't put on makeup and I'm like, oh, I feel so empowered. Like I'm just being real, being me, and I feel great during it. And then I remember that we put this on the internet forever. <laughs> That's okay, though. You It's look okay. great. It's okay. Thank you. I think we've just started. Are we recording? Yeah. Whoop, whoop. This is episode 11. 11. 11's my lucky number. It is, yeah. I'm excited for that, and I'm not quite sure how it's going to go. Because I know we have a little bit of a different vibe going in. <laughs> What are you talking about? It's great. No, that's always the always the situation. Is like you want to keep things really fun and hilarious and upbeat, and I have the more motivational, serious vibe or educational vibe, and yeah, it, it tends to work out. I think we're going to do both. And I think there is one thing we can absolutely agree with, and it's that we should start with the intro music. Absolutely, <laughs> roll it. Mags and dads, wholesome chaos. So what have you been up to? I know you just did an audition. You've been doing more auditions with your acting agent. And how's that going? Uh, it's going really well. I love it so much. Um... Can I ask you this? Like, it used to be like when you got auditions, you go into a room and you read with the director or mm -hmm. whoever's doing the casting. And there was kind of a live environment where you get to meet people. And now it's all like self-tape because yeah. of COVID. And I don't know if that's going to be the way it goes going forward, but... What are the upsides and downsides of that experience for you? Genuinely, I prefer self-tapes. Mm. I, I feel like a lot of actors are split because there is like a personal connection that you make with someone when you're in the room for an audition. Like self-tape, you get as many tries as you want. Um, and also, it's just like easier to, to knock them out. If you're an actor working in L.A. L.A. is big. L.A. is spread out. If you're going to auditions every day, mm -hmm. you can maybe make two a day. Sure. Um, if you're a full-time actor at home and you wake up and your job is to do self-tapes, you can knock out so many more. And also from the perspective of, like, casting directors, it's easier in that sense. Um, and I just think overall, like, I don't think we'll ever be 100% back in person again, and I think that that's okay. And plus actors and talent are spread out everywhere, mm -hmm. and so you can really broaden your scope of who you're looking at for a part or just kind of open it up to for the sure. world and see who you're going to get. Yeah, but so you have to have a studio or something in your, in your house. Yeah, thankfully, I grew up with parents who <laughs> always had a studio because of the content you have right. made. Um, And so that was super, super handy. But the really awesome thing, and you don't need a studio. You know, you need a camera, decent lighting. Can you overproduce a self-tape audition? Maybe. It's not so much about the quality of 
your circumstances is about the quality of the performance you're putting off. Okay. Authenticity yeah, of the that character, makes sense. whatever. Because um, they can see through that. These are people who understand, oh, if we put that in our circumstance, like we get some good production on it, Yeah. then we can see the full potential. For sure, for sure. And I, I just, I've been working for maybe like the past six months when I decided I really wanted to get back into acting. Because a lot of people don't know this, but like I, I, I don't want to say I was a child actor. I was a not very successful child actor. <laughs> like I feel like, because I feel like when you say you're a child actor, you're like. Oh yeah, you, people think of the, the big fame stories yeah. of kids who blew up and then yeah. they had drug addiction and yeah. their whole life went okay. sideways. Well, <laughs> <laughs> and that for sure wasn't my case. Like I booked very small things like in Atlanta, um, but I did grow up acting and stuff like that. You always had parts of kids that were like abused, abused. or tormented. I was or, told time and time again that yeah. my casting type was abused child. And like growing up, that's a weird thing to comprehend because it's a weird thing for a parent to hear too. <laughs> yeah. You're in these acting classes and over and over again they're telling you like you want to know your type. You wanna you wanna master it. So like you're you're the person they go to for that. Mm-hmm. But the majority of the time it's like, oh you're the nerd or you're the mean girl. I was just or straight you're the up girl told, next door. Like I thought you'd be like more like the girl yeah, next door. Yeah. I was um actually put in a cage in the back of a truck one time. <laughs> <laughs> like, that was my cast type. Yeah, um, or you were the cast. girl that was going to be, like, you know, with your sister, yeah. like, put through this whole, like, uh, sexual trafficking yeah. kind of exploitation realm. Mm-hmm. That was heavy. Or, like, in a toxic family where my parents are yelling and fighting and, like, telling me to shut up and all this stuff where it was just, like, it was an interesting thing as a very kid. Very different than your actual upbringing, yeah. I hope. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. That's good. But, um, so, how do you feel about when the acting, when the audition's over? Like, whether or not you're going to get it? Do you worry about that? Do you think about that? I mean, of course, I think about it because I'm the type of person who gets so far ahead of myself, no matter what. Like, mm-hmm. I, my friends and I always joke in situations. We'll talk about one encounter. And we'll be saying all these different things. We're like, we're 10 steps ahead. We are 10 steps ahead right now. We need to chill out. Um, But no, really all you can do is kind of say, I did my best. And at the end of the day, someone's going to be right for the part. And maybe it's you and maybe it's not. And And there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah, it's not your fault if you're not right for the part. You do your best and you're either the fit they want or you're not. You know what I mean? The way I look at it is if you don't get that one, you're eventually going to get a part, you know, with with, for something that's right for you. And that one is just like one step closer. Mm-hmm. So I didn't get this one. Okay, good. I'm one one audition closer to the one I am going to get. Yeah. But that's excellent. You know, you talked about staying calm, staying cool. You know what I was doing this morning? What? I was staying cool and calm with the Calm app. Oh, nice. And they're, they're actually our sponsor for this. And it was so cool because what I was doing is I was listening to the California beach seascape mm-hmm. as I was preparing for this audition. I uh, first did a meditation, which was really amazing. And then I did that while I was like writing and thinking and it was excellent. And it got me to thinking that, you know, a lot of people right now are dreaming about being in these beach getaways, but they can't travel right now or they're nowhere near the ocean. So you need to maybe get creative too. And with the Calm app, you can listen to the relaxing sounds of waves or nature or anything else and give yourself a break wherever you are. We're partnering with Calm, the number one mental wellness app, to give you the tools to improve the way that you feel. Clear your head with guided daily meditations, improve your focus with Calm's curated music tracks, and drift off to dreamland with Calm's imaginative sleep stories. And if you go to calm.com slash chaos, you'll get a limited time offer of 40% off a Calm premium subscription, which includes hundreds of hours of programming, and new content is added every week. 
Over 100 million people around the world use Calm to take care of their minds, sleep more, stress less, live better with Calm. For listeners of the show, Calm is offering a special limited time promotion of 40% off a Calm premium subscription at calm.com slash chaos. So go to calm.com slash chaos for 40% off unlimited access to Calm's entire library. Again, that's calm.com slash chaos. Yeah, I'm loving my premium subscription on Calm. I took advantage of that code myself. I, <laughs> I, I love doing that. I love supporting our own sponsors on our show. <laughs> and, um, and if you enjoy this show, then please also consider going out there and, and supporting our sponsors. You can actually go to the Wholesome Chaos website, and there's a sponsor link to all the codes for all of our sponsors that have supported us thus far. And you can continue to show them the love and show them that you appreciate their, their sponsorship of this show too. So I'm glad we talked about your acting, which is kind of like your new career, and with influencing and everything else that you're doing. Multiple things. Multiple things. On you really everything we possibly can. <laughs> yeah, all all of it. Yes, and everything. You're you're a 19 year old girl running a business, building a life, building a, a trajectory of your career, which is pretty amazing. And what I thought we could do on this episode is not to talk about you and your achievements or me and my achievements, but just to talk in general about about money and about work and about a career or crafting a way to uh, to earn money and to use money, to save money, to give money, to, to use money as this flow of fuel that kind of like helps drive your life. Um, and I think everybody could start thinking about that. It doesn't matter how young you are to start thinking about your relationship with money. Yeah. Let's jump into it. Yeah. So um, where did it start for you? What was your like first memory or experience of Get earning money. I always had That's a really... That's just like getting money. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like it's a gift. But. Like, I guess we had allowances and stuff. I don't even really remember how much it was. Was it like $5 a week? I think initially, and then we upped it to 10 but we had a different kind of strategy about allowances. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm sure we'll get into that. But um, For sure. The first job, I used to do some, like, jobs for you and for mom, I guess. Not just, like clean the house because we were kind of just expected to do that in general. But um, in your business, I would like put together book packages or stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Or just like work around the office for like 20 bucks or something like that. Mm -hmm. But the first job job I had, like get up and go to a job. I think we've talked about this before. It was the Renaissance Festival. And I started going to that. It was so cute. So my grandma worked there so did my aunt so did my cousin and slowly like my cousin was working more on her business um and so it was kind of just like me and my grandma for the most part for these 12 hour days they were long days with no breaks mm -hmm. and I didn't paint faces at first I was probably 12 when I started going like you were like an apprentice like yeah. an assistant to the yeah the I got her anything business. she needed I um you know helped set up but more than anything like I just spent time with my grandma and I remember her literally saying she was like I'll pay you like for being out here like I'll pay you 20 bucks for just coming and I was like no grandma like I'm having fun I want to be here like I don't want money to like make me feel like that's why I'm out here like, plus I'm you're at a renaissance festival with all this crazy stuff happening and oh yeah interesting colorful people which there, there's a time <laughs> period where that's like amazing in your life and then at some point the novelty wears off and it, oh, yeah. and it seems more like a job. Rose-colored glasses shattered. But it's still a very cool way to to, yeah. to earn money. And, and the potential was really there for you to make 
some, some oh very good yeah. money. Are we talking about like numbers here? Like, should I say numbers? Nah, I wouldn't go there. But well, just, but just in general, for a kid your age, it was like a really great opportunity. Yeah, and that was the thing is I would work the entire season. I finally did start like actually working there when I was older. Would work full time, um, and I would work. I missed, <laughs> I missed every single graduation party. Uh, all throughout high school except two, I think, because I was working, um, which was tough. Like, <laughs> yeah. I know I know. it's like when you actually think about it, it's like, okay, you could go make money or you could go to this thing that you're probably not going to remember in 10 years for someone you don't even know that well. But it was something that really hit where I was like, ah, the sacrifice, but I'm working. And at the time, a lot of my friends weren't working, so people didn't really get it as much. Um but now with more friends working, they're like, oh, no, that was totally the right call. <laughs> like, and there were some days where the money was great and some days where it was rained out and you were oh just sitting gosh. on your butt all day long doing nothing. And it's yeah. kind of like you have to go through both. Yeah, and especially a lot of the times I was going, the season was towards the end of the year. It was like April, May, June or whatever. And so that was finals for me. <laughs> <laughs> so I would bring schoolwork and be doing my schoolwork during like the slow parts of the day and stuff like that. But I would take all the money I made from the season and I would put it in a little pouch. I would go home at the end of the day. I know you have some experience with this, but I would count them. I would separate my tips versus what I made um, after like the percentage you have to give or whatever. And so I... I would just put it in these little envelopes. And then at the end of the season, I would go to the bank and I'd give it to him and I'd say, this for my account. Uh, I made this and I would like you to put it in my bank account because it was such a cool feeling to be like, that was like my paycheck um, was kind of like that feeling. I know that feeling. It's an amazing (laughs) feeling. Yeah. So my first job is, you know what it is, right? Yeah. I was a... I'll let you say it, but... Yeah, I was a paper boy (laughs) Mm -hmm. in Chicago Southwest side of Chicago. Basically, I was a newsie, mm. right? So if you've ever seen newsies, you can imagine that was exactly what I did. Did I you like, have the hat? I, did you I, have a little I hat? I danced around, sang songs, <laughs> and threw newspapers and, and you know, basically protested uh, <laughs> the injustices of our world. Amazing. Uh, yeah, it was awesome. But um, no, it was, a, it was actually a family business um, <laughs> and a little bit of a, like, a rite of passage, I guess you could say, because my, uh, my sisters, both Wendy and Sandy, both had this paper route before I did. And so south side of Chicago, this Polish neighborhood in several different blocks, you know, we, it was a considerably large size of, of, a, of a property. And it was a local paper. It didn't come out every day, but it came out two days a week on Tuesdays and on Thursdays. And it was called the Southwest News Herald. And, and so the way it worked is um, you would actually go to the building and you'd pay to to buy your rubber bands and to pay something for the papers. Can't remember what the discount was, but it was a pretty sizable discount that we, you know, put money in and you had to qualify to become one of the delivery people. And so then you'd get this little collections book to keep track of who's on your route because not everybody, not every house is on your route. They have to pay Mm -hmm. for this paper. So you have to keep track and manage that. Um, And basically every Tuesday and Thursday morning, like 5.30 in the morning before really? school, these papers, we call them papes. They get, <laughs> they get dropped on your front porch and they're actually bound together with, <laughs> with these plastic strips. And I would, I would cut open my papes and I'd get my rubber bands and I'd sit down on the floor and I'd put on some cartoons or some TV and you roll the papes and you put the rubber band on with a little double twisty knot <laughs> and you'd stack them in your little, in your canvas Delivery bag. Oh my gosh! Are you being serious? In my cart, all of this is legit. 
Like, like absolutely. And so you, I do that. Like get, an actual newsy. Actual newsy, right? And so my hands at this point, the dancing. I might not. I might not have been. <laughs> oh, knowing you, I that. feel like you did have a skip in your step. Always, <laughs> always. But my hands would be like, you know ink dirty because mm -hmm. I'm rolling all these papers and hundreds of them, you know? And then you go on your route and it doesn't matter. Like it's like rain, cold, Chicago. So snowstorms, whatever, like mm -hmm. you've got to do this route and you walk and you have to remember who's who and which houses get them and which don't. And the real key, Maggie, was to throw the paper so that it, it lands on the porch and kind of slides up to the door, but you don't want to hit the door because they had these metal like like storm doors and it would make this this terrible noise and irritate your customer and um and plus it was extra hard because i would typically run and do like a split leap in the air and then <laughs> throw course. the paper between my legs yeah to the door just to make it interesting yeah no of course yeah while and, singing <laughs> and then and then at the end of every month you've got to go collect this is how you get paid so so i had my collections book with all my customers and i literally go door to door and it was 85 cents for the paper subscription because you get discounts. They were like coupon codes and things like that, and um, and so I would I would knock on the door if they were home. They answered the door. Sometimes they're not home. Hi, I'm Dan. I'm collecting for the Southwest News Herald. So what you say like hundreds of times in a day, and it was eighty five cents. And most of the time they would give you a dollar and say oh, keep the change. Nice. But a lot of them wanted the fifteen cents back. <laughs> so. I had so I always had a pocket of dimes and nickels to make change as I would go and do my route. And that's some customers are just, you know, you can't catch them at home, whatever. But I remember that's how I that's how I did it. My sisters did it before me. Wow. It was a pretty cool experience. Yeah. I'll never forget when I first earned enough money because I'd save it in this little wooden box. And I still have the wooden box. And for whatever reason, I must not have had paper nearby or whatever, but at some point I counted up the money that was inside and I wrote it on the actual box itself. It was like $90. And it was what I was saving was about $90 to go buy my first um, like big ticket item with my own money, which was for me a BMX bike. And I remembered that so vividly. That, that meant so much to me mm -hmm. to like be able to use money that I earned to do something I wanted and driving down that bike. And I also then had, I bought like um, special alloy handlebars to really make it custom. Yeah. And it just was like my bike that I earned. It just felt so fantastic. Do you, do you have anything like that of like, like, I can't like, yay, I get to use my money. Like I'm happier because I get to do this with money I earned. Um, honestly, so I guess the first thing I, I just, this is like kind of the only thing I can think of at the moment, but my first phone, um, I was in fifth grade, which like me being 19 now, I'm looking back and I'm like, don't give your fifth graders phones. Like, don't do that. Yeah. But to be fair, you didn't give it to me. And it also wasn't a smartphone. Like this was 20 while ago i don't I actually have no idea what yeah i was in fifth grade <laughs> i'm 19 now someone out there can do the math but i um i went to the store and i bought a slide phone so essentially all i could do was really like text friends like the two other friends who had phones or something, <laughs> yeah. and like text my parents and play like two little games i feel like there was this game you play like kids play like Everybody needs one. I'm, this is how I, you know. Oh, the justification. The justification. But yeah. in reality, if you could score a phone, you, they put you in a pretty elite class back then. Yeah. Yeah. And it was also cool because, like, 
I bought it with my own money and I also paid for the service. Like it was, it was mine. Um, and I also, I bought a case. Oh my gosh, I want to find this phone now. <laughs> I bought a case and it was um, black and purple zebra stripe. And it's just also Hannah Montana was like peak at the time where they would pull out their phones and the little slide, like the noise it made. It's just so good. And so I remember feeling really like, that's my phone. But you know? even now, you take, even though you're only 19 and still, you know, in our care, you mm -hmm. take great pride in spending your own money. Like doing yeah. stuff for your friends, like doing oh, things I for us. You, you bought mom a gift. Yeah. Um, my friend and I, this is actually funny. My friend and I were on Rodeo um, and we walked into Coach and like every single purse we saw, we fell in love with. We were like, oh my gosh, I love this. I love this. I want it all. I want the collection. Um, we had a very nice lady helping us. Her name was Sonia. And we were like, Sonia, we want this commission for you. Like <laughs> we want this to be a good day for everyone. Did you try to negotiate? No. <laughs> I'm such a pushover. <laughs> um, but um, we essentially, we found some bags we liked. And then we were, we were like, we're going to take a lap. We're going to keep walking. Um, and as we were walking outside of the store, I was like, I am having a really hard time justifying this purchase for myself because it's a lot of money for a bag for myself to look cool. <laughs> <laughs> and, I was, and I told her, I was like, you know what way I could justify this is if we got it for our moms. And both of us immediately were like, oh, I love this idea because we still get to go buy a coach bag. We still get to walk around with it for the rest of the trip. <laughs> um, and then we get to give it to our moms. And like, I knew my mom wasn't going to buy herself she a nice never bag. Buy that she, for, herself. for the past, I'm so sorry to expose you like this mom, but she has <laughs> had this bag for the past like eight years that is a Vera Bradley like tote. Um, and the hand, it, it was a gift to her, alleged, uh, not allegedly, it was a gift. It was like, actually, yes. Um, and the bag's ripping. Like the handles are ripping and she's still like, no, it's good. It's good. And so I got her this coach tote that I told her, it's like, you're a girl boss. You need your girl boss bag for when you walk into meetings so you can just set it down. And like, it's, it's made Thank known. you for doing that. Of that course. That's so sweet. And I got so much more joy out of it. So, <laughs> back, so back to the subject, because, you know, that is one of the things you do when you have money in your life is you have a chance to be abundant. That's just for yourself, but for others that you have a way to, um, to, to build wealth. And, and you don't have to like score some big face painting job or you know, some huge like 85 cents per customer pay, paper boy route <laughs> mm -hmm. to begin to build wealth. You yeah. can start anywhere. <laughs> For me, that was the story. And then I started performing and I started earning money that way um, with the Renaissance Festival for me, which was, again, like you said, it's so amazing when you do a show, you're putting out all this energy and you get immediate reward from the audience and, and ask for money and you mm -hmm. get dollar bills. It's like, yes, there's some value. People value what I'm doing in some way. But money is also a value that you get to express. Like, this is something that I see value in. When you spend a dollar, it's like a vote that this says this counts. I, I'm putting my money on this and I want to support something of value. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of times we get sucked into different brands or different things like that when you got to say, well, is this something that I really want to fully endorse myself? Mm -hmm. um, for me, that kind of grew, grew into a performing business. And I'll never forget when my parents said, I was in high school, we had moved by then from Chicago to Georgia. And my mom said, you know, dad and I were talking and we we're saying this performing thing is going so well for you. We were thinking, 
wouldn't it mean so much more if you paid for your own college education? Like the education <laughs> itself would seem so more, much more meaningful in your life, which was like the greatest sales job ever, right? <laughs> to, to put that on a kid. But, and honestly, at the time you could do it. And now it would be much more difficult because college is in, much more incredibly expensive. Just a bit, yeah. Which could be a subject for another podcast <laughs> at another time and, and college and, and um, the pros and cons of college. But no, the, the, um, at the time it was like this awesome thing. So I was getting a business degree at school while doing my business. And just like you, like I had to miss a lot. I went to one football game my entire college career. No, two. But they were both my freshman year mm -hmm. because I was always working on the weekends. And you know what that's called, right? Um, that that principle. I'm throwing you. Uh, it, is we, yeah, you you say when, it. when you have to give up one thing for another oh, thing. Oh, um, opportunity cost. Opportunity cost. So what, what opportunity cost means is that if I have this dollar and I spend it on this, all I have is say hundred hundred bucks, and I'm going to choose to spend my hundred bucks on this. There's a cost of, of the thing you just bought, hundred bucks, but then there's the other cost which is now I can't buy anything else. I've given up the opportunity to spend that money on anything else. And so, it can also be like the opportunity cost of your time. Precisely. Also, which is like arguably just as important. Much more so because time's a non-renewable resource. You mm -hmm. can always make more money. Like money, you could lose money, you could replace money, you can, you can grow more money. You can't grow more time. Yeah. Right, so that's really, really, really important. Okay, so another, a few quick speed thoughts on, uh, on these thoughts. So what are your thoughts about credit? Get it as soon as you can when you're 18. Get a credit card, only use it for gas and groceries. And? And pay it. <laughs> Don't go into debt. Don't spend more than you have. Um, keep your purchases small. It's just start growing that credit. So if you need it in the future, you can use it for large purchases like houses and stuff. Yeah, exactly. So cred there is the thing as your credit score, your credit history, which mm -hmm. is kind of like your permanent record. When they talk about in school, it's like, don't screw up your permanent record. It really doesn't matter much in grammar school or high school. Um, like People don't look back at your high school record as much, but they do keep track of your credit score, kids. <laughs> and so, yes, establish credit, but look at your credit card, not as, oh, they've given me this this balance of my account and yeah. I only have to pay interest. That's the big game is like if you get caught paying off just your interest every month, then the credit card company over time is making a ton of money on you and you're paying way more than you think for everything that you're buying. But if you can use the credit card as a tool in your life to show your worthiness and trustworthiness and reliability, then now it becomes a, a great asset to your life. Yeah, Good. I got really um, butthurt when... Also, <laughs> apparently people don't use that term, butthurt. I always use that term. <laughs> but Define butthurt, Maggie. It's when your butt hurt. Like, you are <laughs> hurt by something. Uh, it's like someone Insulted, kicked you in offended. the butt. Yeah, I don't know. Okay. I don't know where I picked that up, but... <laughs> um, I was really... I'm still going to use the term. I was really butthurt when... Um, I was told that my credit wasn't strong enough when we were like starting this podcast, um, when we were like creating this corporation or whatever, the LLC, I needed a, a co-signer or like someone to back me because they're like, your credit's not strong enough. I was like, what do you mean? I pay my credit. And they're like, babe, you're 19. <laughs> <laughs> like you're not that reliable yet. Chill out. Um, but yeah, 
<laughs> so yeah, so this is actually Maggie's business, Maggie's podcast. We yeah, just get to play along. It's, we're, all, we're, it's a family event, family yes. affair. But I, but that was intentional mm-hmm. to to really build up your uh, your reputation and your experience as a business owner. They were so sweet at the banking place. They one of the ladies who helped us. She brought she, like she stood me up and she took me around and she just like tapped her friends who worked there and they're like, "This is our youngest business owner here." Like we just got our youngest business owner and she made me feel so sweet. She made me feel like a girl boss. <laughs> <laughs> there we go again. Even without the coach bag. <laughs> yes. You were definitely not butthurt in that situation. I was not butthurt in that situation. <laughs> okay, cool. So we've talked about credit. We've talked about opportunity cost. What about delayed gratification? What does that mean? That's pretty obvious. Delayed gratification is the things that are not instantly rewarding. Right. Um, if you spent all day making and filling out job applications. You worked all day. You worked towards something really hard, but you're not going to hear back from anyone that day. You're not going to hear back from anyone for a long time. You're working for something that the gratification is delayed. Yeah, or if all you ever get is $10 and you want go out and immediately spend it, you will only ever be able to afford something that's this, only $10. Yeah. So the way we reinforced this principle in our family was we did give an allowance, say $10, ultimately for both of our kids, and instead of giving them the money every week, we would keep a ledger, right? And so they would be able to sign for this week's allowance and get $10 and do their chores around the house. And there was obviously, you're participating in the family function, which is part of why we're giving you this money. But, or they could just wait. And Eddie especially would wait like three, four, five, six, ten 10 weeks at a time and be like, I'm ready for a hundred bucks. Now, yeah, Eddie let it just accrue. Um, and I think you were just started to just feel bad about the whole principle and we're like, never, I don't want to take money from my family. You keep it, right? Yeah, I've never. She has still like, delayed all that gratification even yeah, to this day. Maybe in like 50 years I'll come and hit you guys up and be like, hey, remember that uh, book? <laughs> <laughs> I think you guys owe me some money. But no, I just never, I that never. That was your idea, I think, Shelia. That whole, that whole ledger system was so brilliant. I think that's something that a lot of the families here could really pick up on and maybe implement. And it, and it begins the conversation talking about money. Mm-hmm. Um, the other way we handled that is uh, with regard to like the first car. Mm-hmm. And explain how that works. Um, essentially, we were responsible for buying our cars, but our parents wanted us to have good, reliable cars and also something that was going to be an investment. So they said that whatever we put in, they would match, which I understand is not something that like, all families necessarily can do financially, but it was really interesting because I I attended a private Christian school where a lot of my friends were gifted cars on their 16th birthday. Yeah. <laughs> Even before, it's like you're 15, you got your permit, here's a BMW. Um, and that like wasn't, that wasn't us. For me, it was the BMX. For them, it was the BMW. <laughs> I don't know. But um, no, it was, it, it was a lot more meaningful um, and helpful like to me it was a great amount of like compromise or like work between the two of us because if I saved up just like a hundred more dollars that Mm -hmm. was technically like 200 more dollars and stuff like that and that's what Eddie did he accrued his savings and also the allowance savings and all that until just before he moved away to college and so he could get a a nice car which Mm -hmm. is which was a, a really wonderful thing we got to do then because it's like You've used this really wisely. Mm-hmm. Um, although, yeah. what's that? It cost us a lot more. <laughs> it cost us a lot more, yeah, because. We... <laughs> so, do you know about supply and demand? Yes. 
Explain supply and demand. Oh my gosh, I have like <laughs> I, I hate this. Classes. I know I've never had a good econ class. Yeah, I know. You want to know something so funny? I had a terrible one in high school. Most people college. don't have good econ classes. Nothing against my econ teacher, um, but my <laughs> I don't know if I should tell this story, but I'm gonna do it. Uh, in econ <laughs> class, there was um, couches. Like we had, there were two couches, and me and two of my best friends were all in the same econ class, and well, we, I think it was like the last class of the day or something where we would get into the class and we would all go sit on the couch and we would like cuddle. Like my friends and I are all very touchy people. We just like like to be held, like to be loved. You know what I mean? Like just we're, we're touchy people. Um, and so we would just go back, drop our bags. And before class started, we'd all go cuddle on the couch. And it made our teacher really uncomfortable. Yeah, I can see why. Um, and at the time, like we were like 17. We didn't really think much of it. We were like, oh, whatever. Like it's it's whatever. We're just hanging out with our friends. Um my friend Rachel, her sister's still at Providence, and she said that he took away the couches after we graduated. And he was like, oh, yeah, I had to take them away because the previous class, like, took advantage of them. And I just know he was talking about us. Um, yeah. And so I'm sorry for that one. Looking back at it, yeah, that was on us. <laughs> uh, real quick econ supply and demand story for me was John Coles, my college roommate. We had a econ class together um, when I was, anyway, it was awful. This yeah. teacher was horrible. Yeah. All he would do is put up a slide and then read the slide and move on. And he was following the book exactly. Mm. And so we realized this pretty quick and we decided we would never go to that class. We would just never once in, in that whole semester go to that class. And instead we went and we worked out. And at the end of that semester, we were both in great shape. <laughs> we would just show up to take the tests. We would study the book and I got an A and John got a B. So it was it was a good decision. Yeah, econ classes. Supply are and demand, though, is <laughs> <laughs> basically the idea of what something is worth. If they if you increase the amount of supply, you essentially lower its effective worth. And if you in, if you decrease the demand, you also lower the worth. But if something's in short supply, there's not that many of them, and there's a much higher demand then the supply, the, the cost, the price can go up, right? And so it's the idea of scarcity. It makes perfect sense. And so it, when we think about how new things get introduced to our world, in the beginning, just a few people are going to buy it because so it comes in at this super high price point. It's just innovated, so the, the cost to produce it is really high. So it's, it's a, uh, maybe, you know, it's, so the price is up. But, but when it's be able, to, uh, able to mass produce it in a way that more and more people can, can benefit from it, then the price naturally comes down. So supply and demand is also a great way to think about how you can create a career and be of value to people. What is it that only you can do? What is it that people really need where the demand is high? If you're trying to think about starting a business, you're like, don't think about what's my idea for a business. No, you look at it and say, what's the need out there? Where's the demand? And then are there other people doing that? Or if there's not, well, then I can be one of a few in a, in a, from a supply point of view to fulfill that service and that can help you be uh, a more profitable company. It's how speaking works. You only get one date on the calendar. You know, there's only one August 15th or whatever. And so you, have, you can only sell that date once. There's a very limited supply and there's only one of me. And so that effectively drives um, price up provided people are in demand of your services. Mm -hmm. so that's how that works. Makes sense? <laughs> and there's only one Maggie Thurman. There's only one Dan Thurman. 
And if you want Actually, Maggie Thurman in your movie, you're going to have to pay a pretty penny. <laughs> or or just have a good movie and want me in it. And then we'll talk, too. <laughs> yeah, she'll, she'll pretty much do it. Just she'll okay, well, At this point, well, whatever it is. <laughs> let's let's uh, scratch that last bit. Okay. Um, uh, saving, giving, and investing. Important. We, we always had saving and charitable as part of our family dynamic, too. Like, when you make yeah. money... We had a conversation about how much of that are you going to save, and I think a requirement, according to my wife, of percentages for saving and then a charitable donation. Well, I think a lot of my, um, sorry, a lot of my perspective on money is rooted in religion, um, a good bit, kind of like the morality the of it. And, yeah, yeah. And I will say participating in God's abundance, so I get to. Be a part yeah. of that. When about a year ago, when I started first making money, I would say that I was probably never more stressed about money than when I started making money. Because hmm. I was like, what do I do? <laughs> what do I do now? Um, a lot of things are happening. Um, and a few months ago, one of my friends said something about how like knowing that everything is like, even if okay, okay. Sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. Like, knowing that everything is a gift to yourself, like, I believe it's from God, um, but, like, insert, you know, your personal experience or whatever. Knowing that everything that I have is a gift from God, it makes it easier to give it to other people because it's not really mine. Right. It's, and also, like, something I feel like everyone can relate to, religious or not, is, like, you can't take your money with you when you die. Yes. Like, it's not about the money. It's about what you do with it. Like, yes. spend spend some money on something nice for yourself. Like, go have a fun experience. Spend money on people you care about. Like, those experiences and those don't feelings. don't spend all of it, right? Yeah. yeah, no, be smart with it. And and I love what you're saying because, you know, what I was saying earlier is participating in the flow of abundance. It's like, I don't get to, like, keep my money. I can't take it with me. But I can participate in a, in a respectful way in the flow of money by earning it with, with great care and intention and pride and by spending it wisely and investing it or supporting things that I care about or giving mm-hmm. it away to others who need it. Um, I thank you for saying that. So so beautiful and great for your mom and I to hear. Um, Eddie's been awesome with his money as well, and he's been very frugal. Um, Eddie went to High Point University as well at, at, at his first two years, and there was a gentleman... President Nito Cobain, Dr. Cobain, who's a good friend of ours, his um, one of his sayings, one of his philosophies in life is be prudently frugal and selectively extravagant. Mm-hmm. And I love that. I think yeah. we've tried to apply that. Um, you know, keep your kids convinced you don't have any money, <laughs> and then when you need to sh- when you need to create something of value, then do it. Then I think we yeah. did a pretty good job with that. For sure. And 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 investing. Okay, so so participating in that flow doesn't mean I, I wait till I have a big amount of money to invest. It means you start early and you invest what little you can and over time that's going to grow. And it's about the habit of spending less. Because, I mean, this is the problem you see people who win the lottery or celebrities or athletes get into. is like they, they earn all this money and then they, you're like, how can you be broke? How can you be homeless or whatever? And it's by creating debt. It's by... Spending yeah. more than you make, you can make a million dollars a year, but if you spend one point two, yeah, you know you're not in a, you're not in a good position. So, and there's also the the compound value of investing and mm-hmm. interest. Oh my gosh, I see TikToks about that all the time, where it's like explain it real quick. Um, just saying the difference between if you start investing at eighteen versus if you start investing at twenty five, 
that difference is like half a million dollars by the time oh you're gosh. 50. Yeah. Like, yeah, I, I've been investing a long time. Um, I have like a Roth. Um, I'm looking to get into stocks, still trying to educate myself about that. But um, yeah, just start saving, start investing because it's going to grow. And like anything else, it's a habit. You build the habit of doing it and then it's not that big a deal. You immediately, you, you stop thinking about it all as your money. You think about the percentage that, you know, you're going to keep or, or spend or use and then the rest of it you don't even think about. It just immediately goes away for the future. And also like take advantage of the things that do all the work for you when it comes to investing, like a Roth or like a um, like Dow Jones or something that like, there's a reason or, people's... Or mutual, mutual funds. Yeah. Mutual funds are collections of stocks all in a specific market or sector. Or you can just have like a an index fund which basically replicates the the market generally. And you're like, it saves you the, the hassle of trying to think of exactly what to do or to time the market. And you're like, I'm just going to keep putting my money in this. It's less important that you do the amazing right investment and most, most important that you do an investment that you know will will benefit you over time, at least in some reliably positive way, because the compound interest means not just, initially you're making the interest on the money you put in, but it compounds because that money, that interest, you get interest on the interest, and then you get interest on the interest and the interest. And so over time, that's why at a certain percentage rate, even a very modest percentage rate, your money grows. And you want your money out there growing and working for you so that you can be enjoying life and and not thinking about it. And if a lot of those big words didn't make sense to you, do what I did and put money into a Roth. <laughs> <laughs> well, the Roth is the instrument. Okay, okay. Yeah, no, I'm just saying, like, there's a reason people go to school for this for years. There's a reason this is people's full-time job is because yeah. it's confusing. And, and, but there's people out there to help you. Yeah, and what I'm saying is keep it simple. Yeah. For sure. Well, I know that's not going to be like answering everybody's questions about money, but, um, you know, it's not something to be ashamed of. Like making yeah. money is a, is a good thing. It's a noble thing. If you use it wisely and spend it correctly, um, there's no, you know, I, there's not really a shortcut. People want to like get lucky and get right. For me in my life, when I've lost the most money has been when I was motivated by a sense of a shortcut. You know, by saying this seems like a really great risk or good deal or, you know, and a lot of time those those work, in my case, they have not been uh, wise investments or something I don't completely understand, right? It's like this is something that makes sense to this person. They're really passionate about it and they look smart. And so I'm going to support what they're telling me, even though I don't quite get it. Make sure you get it. Like make sure you really understand whatever it is you're doing or investing and just begin that process of expanding your mind and and learning more every step of the way. Yep, yep. So, um, well, this has been good. It's been fun. And what's happening next for you, Maggie? Um, you're coming to visit. I'm going to be in Los Angeles. You and Mom are going to be in L.A. What do you have planned for us? Oh, um... <laughs> So much. Uh, no, no, no. We're, we're, are we, we're going to do the podcast from LA, though. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna figure that out. Is that the next episode, or That's is that the, the one next after? episode? Oh my gosh, this is gonna be LA. amazing. I know. 
Um, you're going to have fun. I'm going to show you and mom all the highlights of L.A. So you want to move there. Um, <laughs> but yeah. Did no. you talk to a realtor already? Um, I actually got licensed as a realtor. So <laughs> I'm talking to one right now. Why not? Um, <laughs> I figured that's like the go-to thing. If <laughs> mind, That sounds bad. I was going to say, I feel like the go-to thing if people don't enjoy college and they're like, I want to go for a different route, it's always real estate. (laughs) Well, right now it's a good time to be in real estate. Yeah. But um, nonetheless, that's going to be awesome. And I can't wait to see you, see where where you're at, what you're doing, meet your friends, meet your agent. And you'll be hearing all about it on this podcast too as we're experiencing that in real time. So, wow, that's going to be awesome. I guess that's just next week. Next week. Until then, travel safe. And no, I I love you, kiddo. I'm super proud of you. I love you too. And we believe in you, everybody. And we love you and we wish you all the best. Please uh, support the podcast. Tell your friends about it. If you got people you know in your life who um, could benefit from what we talked about today, share this with them and go out to wholesomecast.com. Leave us your own questions. We'll do more questions on the next episode. And uh, we'll talk to you later. Bye. Have a great week. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.